0: Welcome to the Theater of the Midnight Sun, the 21st Century Stage for Stories, with your host and writer, Michael McGee. This is Michael McGee, and at this venue you'll hear stories of mystery, history, fantasy, farce, sci-fi, spy-fi, the everyday, and the absurd. And pretty much all will be performed by a bunch of regular Joes, just friends and colleagues who in their mild manner day jobs are everything from accountants to winery consultants, none of whom, including your host, have a day of experience on the stage, and boy does it show. So hold on tight for the next story on this, The Theater of the Midnight Sun. Stranded in the netherworld of the brain, J.P. Pooler discovers a place unlike any he's ever known. In episode four of the story, Left Field. Once again, darkness surrounded me. I rolled onto my knees, gasping, and suddenly realized I could breathe. Unlike the previous times I'd visited the brain, there was actually some air my lungs could grab onto. I kept my panting to a minimum, trying to calm myself. Professor? Jen? I listened in the dimness, but couldn't hear anything. Nothing but my breathing in the gritty ground beneath me. I crawled backwards, hoping I'd find the hole back to the house, feeling blindly with my hands, thinking I'd sense some slight pressure on my skin, some indication I was partly back in my place. After a couple minutes of this sort of pin the tail on the donkey stuff, I gave up, finally standing. Then I started getting scared. The place had a murky, twilight feel to it, light bleeding in from somewhere, or at least some place I couldn't see. But the further out I looked toward the horizon, the blacker it got, turning from weird pinkish-purple to shimmery jaguar-black. The area around me seemed flat for ages in every direction, except for one, that is, where a giant mountain rose up from the plain. The thing was pretty uniform for a mountain, though, more like a pyramid. The ground underfoot, though, was another matter. Not only was it crunchy, but sharp, too, and in some places not altogether solid having a tendency to give way more than it should. I kicked at one lumpy part and bits flew up like it was made of metal, or maybe stones and gravel. I knelt down to take a closer look, running my hands over it. It consisted of keys and earrings, wallets and papers, and the occasional pocket calculator. The whole quote-unquote ground, who knew how deep, seemed composed of the stuff, stretching as far as I could see. Most of it though was keys, all shapes and sizes, and in every key color imaginable. Gold, silver, brass, red. I got up and walked around a minute, trudging through the keys and calculators, my eyes feeling weird, like stuff was going on out there I couldn't see. Things at the edge of my vision that just wouldn't come into focus. My body felt even more tingly than my last visit, like a breeze was running through my skin, not over it, through my bones even. I had to admit though, the place didn't smell too bad, kind of clean smelling really, whatever that meant. I was still too curious to get panicky yet that I might not be able to return to my duplex, pretty stupid I know, and it dawned on me that I better figure that out first before doing any exploring. But if the whole of my house was here somewhere, I couldn't see it. I walked around a bit, doubled back, turning, jumping, doing birds. Still no familiar furniture item made itself apparent. I suddenly remembered my cell phone and dug it out of my back pocket. I called Jen's number. It actually started ringing. Hello? Jen, it's JP. Whatever you do, don't hang up.
1: JP, what are you doing? Where are you?
0: Where do you think?
1: You are not.
0: I am, too.
1: No, really. Where?
0: Just get your father on the phone, would you?
1: I'm switching you over to speakerphone. How how did
0: you get your phone to work? Oh, brother. Look, I'm in here, wherever here is. And yes, the phone's working, thank you. Although I'm sure the roaming charges right now are killing me. Look, Professor, I don't know how much time I've got, but... um, Can I die in here? It's entirely
1: probable. You can't tell him that. Well, it is.
0: Can you please get me out of here? I've already looked around and I can't find the hole I came through.
1: All right, don't panic. It's possible it may have moved again, or closed. Closed? It doesn't mean it won't open again, for a small stretch of time at least. There's likely some ongoing stress that's causing these breakages or openings in the first place. How long that will last, I don't know. It could be millennia, or it could be only minutes.
0: Doc, your bedside manner is just peachy not that kind of doctor. No kidding.
1: How much battery life have you got on your phone?
0: I don't know. While it's active, maybe three hours. That's a major guess. More like six, JP. Nate?
1: Yeah, you've got the same model I do, remember?
0: Well, maybe it would have been six if it had been charged in the last week. God, I'm so stupid.
1: How do you feel?
0: Pretty tingly. Imagine hitting your funny bone, but it's, it's like your whole body feels that way. I hate to ask this question, but how come I can breathe in here now? I couldn't before. Not that it's great breathing, mind you. I still feel short of breath.
1: It's possible there have been enough openings, for long enough now, that some air has leaked in, or is currently leaking in. Either way, don't wander too far. For several reasons. You might find your air gone, and find a change in other things. Like what? Well, the reason I asked you about gravity earlier is because if you are where I think you are, a separate brain, or sectional between our dimension and others, the gravitational force may be stronger there. That's one of the theories as to why gravity is far weaker than the other three forces here. Gravity shouldn't be weaker, but it is. In the brain where you are, it may prove just as strong as the other forces. So it could cause trouble the further you wander in, or worse you may encounter forces we've never felt before, which don't leak into our universe. And if you encounter one of those, the end result may not be pretty. So stay where you are. The spatial dynamics might be quite different too, meaning one step in that realm could equal a hundred miles in ours. Yes, and your own physical dimensions may increase, as we mentioned before. You may grow taller and more massive as you move away from our location in our dimension.
0: I told them about the mountain and the other things that I'd seen, and afterward, the professor turned down the volume on their end and sent everyone to different corners of the house, particularly in the area where I'd fallen in. Mrs. Dobbs went next door in case an opening occurred there, and Philip and his friends got duties outside, while the rest volunteered for other parts of the house. Meanwhile, I was instructed to shout my head off and keep it up in hopes someone would hear it and direct me toward them. I yelled for a long couple of minutes without success.
1: All right, Cooler. Besides the mountain, do you see any other landmarks?
0: Not really, but light's a bit limited here. So do you think the hole's closed now?
1: Maybe. The hallway's solid again on this side, which means I need you to find another opening. How? I want you to take a few steps in a particular direction and listen to the phone. If your cell connection begins to break up or fade, stop immediately. Don't backtrack unless I tell you. Understand? If the signal gets stronger in one direction, keep going that way. It may mean you're getting closer to an opening where we are.
0: I agreed, but all I could think of were his earlier, unsavory warnings and the possibility of running out of air.
1: How far away is the mountain?
0: Hard to tell in this light. Maybe a thousand yards.
1: All right, head in that direction. But if you start feeling strange...
0: Stranger, you mean?
1: Stop, and we'll reassess things. First, though... Put a marker where you first appeared, so you know precisely where the spot is.
0: Uh, okay. Though, frankly, I don't have the slightest idea anymore where I came in. Great. I'm going to scoop together a buttload of these keys and pins here. There are lots of old driver's licenses around here too, and and I mean old. Some of the expiration dates go back to the thirties and forties. Okay, I'm heading for the mountain now.
1: JP, this is Jen. Needless to say, proceed with caution, okay?
0: I slogged on toward the mountain, still feeling tingly and more tired now too, perhaps due to the thin air, which felt like it was getting thinner. About halfway to the mountain, the ground began to change. Many of the keys disappeared, replaced by tons of eyeglasses that snapped and shattered under my shoes. Further on, errant gloves and cassette tapes replaced the eyeglasses. I even spotted some old 8-tracks amidst the slush. Guys, this is the weirdest place. There's like keys and music tapes and earrings all over the ground. The whole area is like one big lost and found. Really? Yeah, you know all those things we're constantly losing? They're all here. Books, jewelry, even luggage. It's like this is the place where they disappear to.
1: Odd. Perhaps they have particular properties in common that make them more susceptible to falling in where you are. Maybe the same properties that keep causing you to be pulled in.
0: Like what, Price? That I'm lost or something?
1: I'm sure there's a joke there somewhere. But it definitely has an appetite for things of a certain size and makeup.
0: Yeah, well, Nate, I just hope it'll let me go. To me, it suddenly felt like another of those relationships where someone wanted more than I cared to give. By the time I reached the mountain, the wave of lost articles had gone from mostly CDs to mostly earrings then back to mostly keys again. The mountain itself was kind of weird, and I could hear a strange, almost electric crackling in the air around me. The mountain kind of smelled good, too, or at least way better than most mountains I could recall. It was a mess of colors, like one of those old French Impressionist paintings, lots of brown and black mixed with other colors, some of them fairly bright, like pink or sky blue, even red. It had a lot of white bits to it too, but it sure didn't look like snow. Though I could make out the colors in the dim light, its actual texture eluded me. As I got closer, I slowly reached out to touch it. Turned out it was soft. A soft mountain. I pulled on part of it and accidentally peeled a piece of it away, followed by another and another. Professor! Professor!
1: J.P. My dad's out front. Another of your dreams come true just started. And this one's a real Lollapalooza. The wildest most X-rated one yet. But what's going on? Why are you laughing?
0: Jen! Baby doll! boobula. Your dad would love it here.
1: What are you talking about?
0: That mountain?
1: What about it?
0: It's entirely made of socks. Socks? You know how whenever you run a load you end up with one missing? Oh, the hand puppet's just waiting to be made here. I suppose this would be your pop's dream come true.
1: What's this, puller?
0: Professor, I have discovered Sock Mountain. If I had a flag, I'd plant it in your name.
1: Hmm. And how's the air holding
0: up? Okay, I guess, but it feels warmer now. I can't explain it. Hey, what the... Hey, Professor, a small flash of light just lit up part of the mountain near me. Oh... There's a second flash, a little more intense. It's not coming from our cosmic laundry pile, though. Might be from beyond the ridge that's in front of me. Could it be coming from back in our space? Light from our
1: world? It's possible, I suppose, given the air made its way there.
0: Well, I'm going to check it out anyway. And I began to navigate the mountain's base. Eventually, I decided just to scale the slope's edge that lay in my way. When I cleared its fluffy ridge, I saw the strangest thing of all yet, and so I toddled down the slope, wandering across the plain toward it. Holy cripes. Art, you're not gonna believe this, but there are these giant Christmas bulbs like three or four times regular size and they're just hovering in the air clumped together in rows big shiny bulbs each with millions of colors in them and perfectly round each is about nine inches across kind of delicate and fragile looking and each one is identical in shape they're just floating in the air probably four feet off the ground And they're all kind of huddled together, a little plane of them, but only one bulb deep.
1: How many are there?
0: Probably a couple hundred of them here. I'll try to get in close to one of them. Holy gods. Art, Jen, there's, there's something actually in this one bulb.
1: Inside it? What are you seeing?
0: people or something. Or a person, anyway. At first I thought it was a reflection of my own, but it sure isn't mine. It's not even human. The creature in the bulb looked kind of female from what I could tell. And I smiled at her, raising my eyebrows. And lo and behold, she kind of smiled back or what felt like a smile anyway. I studied the bulb next to it. It showed something totally different. Hey professor, in the one beside it are other things, rocks and weird trees and a whacked out sunset with four suns. It's beautiful, but it sure isn't ours. I started a small loop of the bulbs, examining each and describing them to Farco. A few were black. Another showed a star that was spinning like a lighthouse beacon apparently the source of the earlier light flashes. Other bulbs were completely black, but still shiny on the outside. Some had fields of stars in them, or even galaxies. In one of them were fantastic buildings, miles high. In another, throngs of people were gathered. Not people, but creatures, really. Some of them working machines on streets of water that weren't really water, or probably even liquid. At one point, I put my hand up to the bulb, And the thing shuddered a bit, as if any monkeying around might shatter it. Hey, Professor, these things get a little shaky whenever I get near them.
1: Leave them alone, Cooler. Don't touch them. It could have rather deleterious consequences.
0: Gotcha, Professor. I'm back at that first bulb again, by the way. The one with the girl or whatever? She looks friendly. She even kind of smiled at me when I smiled at her. She seems to be trying to say something to me, but I can't hear anything. I tried to make some friendly gestures to her, even blew her a kiss. (laughs) Hey, She's like almost laughing now. Her eyes bigger, her smile even brighter. That a girl. Feels like I'm flirting.
1: Perfect for you.
0: Art, what the hell do you think this bulb thing is?
1: Well, if my hunch is correct, what you're looking at is another universe, like our own.
0: Another universe?
1: In fact, each one of those Christmas bulbs, as you call them, is probably a separate, unique universe. That's how its physical presence would manifest itself there.
0: Holy crap. A whole world in my hands.
1: Far more than that. Can you see our world there, too?
0: Hmm, not that I can see. Or if it's here, I don't recognize it. Art, you know that creature in the first bulb? I think she can actually see me. That's weird.
1: Her design may be different than ours. She may be able to sense you like she's looking at a ghost or a strange reflection in the mirror.
0: And then I heard a noise. One here, in this world. I froze. A faint sort of crackly hum tickled the air. But that hadn't been the sound. It had been quite different. I listened harder, putting my whole heart into it. Half of me hoping it was noise from another opening. My other half telling me to run like the Dickens. Something was moving out there. 45 degrees to my right. Art. Jen. I think there's something here. Something alive. Everybody, would you please shut up? I brought the phone down to my waist, listening and standing there, dead still. The creature, though still obscured in shadow, was headed straight for me. Then I saw a bit of gray. Whatever it was, it was apparently low to the ground. As it moved into the light near me, I finally got a full shot of it. I breathed out, sighing and trying to still my racing heart. I stood my ground and when it got to me, I leaned down and picked it up. I clutched it to my chest and put the phone back to my ear. Nathan, you can tell Mrs. Myers she can take down her flyers now. I know where her kitten is.
1: It's in there with you?
0: Yeah, and he seems about as lost as I am, poor guy. He's dark gray with blue eyes and a little groucho mustache of black. Looks pretty hungry too, and a little scared. Kind of the opposite of me. A little hungry and pretty scared.
1: Maybe you should follow it. It might have a better sense of where an opening is.
0: Good idea, Chen. Okay, I'm setting the little guy down. Okay, come on. Do your stuff. Um... What? Sherlock here seems more interested in my shoelaces than in rescuing us. Come on, guy. Turn your butt around this way. Go! Yes, you're just super adorable, hmm Now, let's do some work, come on. Uh, you know, this is going to be so much bad press for you guys. <sighs> guys, I don't think this is going to work.
1: Well, where did he come from? Maybe head in that direction.
0: I followed Jen's suggestion. It took me towards Sock Mountain again, but over near its far right edge. The little kitten tagged along behind, leaping over keys, baseball caps, and eyeglass cases. I hadn't gone 40 feet when I noticed the ground ahead of me getting lumpier. I figured it was just another change of missing items. Turned out I was right, but in the worst possible way. My eyes widened and a cold chill swept over me. Oh, Jesus. What is, going on? What is it? It's... it's people. Bodies, animals too, dogs, cats, other kinds. All slumped on the ground dead their faces are pretty contorted who knows how many are here hundreds at least some of the clothes in them are pretty old looking though like not of this century even some of them look like they they go way back god professor yet another section of the lost and found they're all dead jp apparently but for being dead, they look pretty good. There's no decomposition.
1: There probably wouldn't be. Till now, there may have been no air in there. JP, they probably stumbled in like you did the first couple times, with no air. But they couldn't find their way back out.
0: Yeah, and like I'm doing great on that score. Given how many of them there are, there may not have been a way back. It might have worked like a lobster trap, a way in but no way out. And if all of them couldn't find an exit, how can I? You have more time. Not much more. The battery meter on my phone is almost down to zero. Oh, for God's sake. The kitten's, like, curling lovingly around the corpse of one of the women here. Hey, hey, get away from there. Stupid cat. Come here. Come on, you're coming with me. You know, guys, I'd really like to go home now. Guys? Guys? Hello? Hello? Anybody there?
1: I'm here, JP.
0: Tawny, what's going on?
1: It's another one of your dreams outside. Or rather, a different part of that first one that was running. Somebody said there's something weird about it, or weirder anyway, and they had the professor go take a look. Everyone's gone off to see it, including Price and your landlady.
0: Aw, hell. They picked a really bad time. Tawny, my phone's just about out of juice. I think it's gonna cut out any minute now.
1: Oh, JP, isn't there anything else you can do? You still can't see or hear us? Out of the way. what's the big idea? Fuller, are you still there?
0: Professor? Yeah, I'm here, but my phone's pretty much a goner.
1: That sock mountain you talked about. Go back to it. What? Get back there and start climbing it.
0: Climb it? I'm not even sure I can climb it.
1: Trust me, I'm positive you can do it. Now, don't ask questions. Just get up there. Up where? All the way to the top. Understand me? Do it now, before we lose you. I heard
0: him yelling orders to Nathan and the others, crazy things, something about my dresser and laundry hamper. But I couldn't catch it all because the phone was already starting to waver. The battery light was flashing. I ran to the mountain, crunching through the gravel of keys and combs. The kitten tucked against my chest and started climbing. My foot sank deep with the first footstep and I nearly toppled into it, trying to steady myself and hold the kitten simultaneously. I slogged upwards a couple more steps, then tried to make a run up the mountain, thinking speed the best tactic. All that happened was I lost my balance and careened to one side, my only free hand, the one with a phone, trying to break the fall. But it didn't work out that way. As I fell, my hand and half my arm disappeared into the socks, and in the process I lost the phone deep into the pile. No, no, no! I started digging around, feeling for anything harder than a tube sock. Nothing. Fearing the phone might have slipped even further, I stuck my whole arm into the pile, fishing around. The kitten was getting antsy, thanks to me panicking, his little claws piercing my shirt and cutting into my skin. I pulled my arm halfway out, then went back down again, angling another way, and finally struck gold, or metal rather. I pulled out the phone, cursing it, and tucked it into my back pocket. I rolled onto my back, trying to get some leverage to stand, continually pushing against the nearest hump of socks that was forever sinking beneath me. I finally got into a standing position, my shoes still a foot deep in the laundry, and twisted myself around till I was facing the peak once more.
1: Are you at the top yet?
0: No, it might be a few minutes. The summit's probably 400 yards above me, and this thing's practically impossible to climb. I started up again, this time taking one deliberate step after another, making sure my foot was planted firmly before taking the next. All I needed was to lose my balance again only higher up this time and come tumbling down, maybe losing the phone for good and tons of precious time.
1: Jen, what time have you got? Cooler, you have to be at the top at 3.26. That's five minutes from now.
0: Professor, you're dreaming. Five minutes. There is no way that...
1: Just do it. That was the time on the clock when the...
0: Farco? Professor? No, 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 no! Phone, oh, don't die on me now. Five minutes to get to the top? Oh, there ain't a chance in hell. So concludes part four of Left Field. The cast included Michael Berenger as Nathan, Tipperary Cork as Jen, Bruno de Montepolciano as Professor Farco, Claire Splan as Tawny, and I, Michael McGee, in a performance that would prompt astronauts everywhere to remark, Houston, we have a problem, a big problem. Play the role of JP. The music heard in this episode came from a slew of incredibly talented performers and musicians, including Stanley Lieber, Michelle Mirrored-Celecki, Clouseau, of course, Print Rogers, whose exquisitely crafted and utterly fresh-sounding microtonal music formed the heart and soul of this episode, and the phenomenal Coconut Monkey Rocket, whose tune Moon Beans you're listening to currently. The music for this story was courtesy of websites such as the Poncho Podsafe Network, GarageBand, and Pixabay. Most of the sound effects were courtesy of SoundSnap and Pixabay full rundown of the musicians or song and composition names can be found on the music page of the Theater of the Midnight Sun website at theaterofthemidnightsun.podbean.com So that's it for this episode. Check back for episode 5, the conclusion of Left Field, or subscribe or follow us. And of course please let your friends know about us too. That will help a great deal in making more programs here. Until then, this is Michael McGee saying no need to wake Shakespeare or bother Mark Twain. And no use in worrying Broadway or even your local high school thespians. It's just us, the theater of the midnight sun.